You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about another disability podcast that I think you'll love. The disability community is not a monolith. Within the community, there's people of different views, beliefs, and identities, and each individual person with a disability has a story to tell. And that's why we're here. Our podcast, You First by Disability Rights Florida, features firsthand interviews with disabled guests, scholars, and advocates covering a wide variety of disability-related issues. We have episodes on voting access, mental health, ableism in academia, disability and reproductive justice, disabled art, accessible video gaming, and much more. Our goal? To have you take away a new perspective on disability and bring awareness and insight to the world around you. You can listen to our latest episodes wherever you're listening now or visit us at disabilityrightsflorida.org forward slash podcast to learn more and find transcripts of all of our episodes. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get today started, shall we? Happy Pride, 
Happy June. Happy all those things, dear Disability After Dark listeners. Hello, thank you for being here. As you're listening to this, I just finished a five-week rehearsal and run, two-week run of my play, Access Me. So, as I'm recording this right now, I go in tomorrow to do my last week of shows, but by the time you listen to this, the shows will be complete. And man, I gotta say, I am the most tired I've ever been. I, I don't really do a lot of acting, and I don't really do a lot of a lot of day-to-day work because of my disability, and this is it's taken its toll on my body and my mind emotionally, but I'm so happy that I get to, to be in a play that I created around sexuality, disability, and queerness. I'm so proud of it. I, I am the most tired I've ever been, but I, I am so proud that I get to put sexuality and disability and queerness on stage every night for two weeks and hopefully we'll do the run again. I know that some of you on my social media saw that I was doing the show and said, oh my goodness, when are you going to stream it? I don't know. I don't know how any of that works or how any of how any of the funding works for that, but I'm so excited. By the time you listen to this on June 25th, the play will be over. And man, I am also really excited for that because I love this piece of work. It's amazing. I'm so proud of it, but also exhausted. So that's where I am currently, and I just want to give you a little update on what I'm currently feeling and doing right now. Also, doing the play for the last five weeks has really dug up some feelings for me around queerness and disability and pride and how I feel about my body and all those things. When you do this kind of work and you present a story to an audience, even though you're playing a heightened version of yourself, at least I am in Access Me, you feel... You feel there's a lot of, there's a lot of emotional shit that comes with it, and I'm feeling that right now. So, I am just so pleased that I get to bring the story to Toronto. If you want the show somewhere else, we'd love to produce it again, stage it again when money is available and when we're all available, because the team lives across the country. So, we'd love to, um, come together again when we, when we could do it again. And if you want to see a really cool play about sexuality, disability, and queerness, consider asking us to do it at your venue sometime. We'd love to. But anyway, that's where I am. But now, let's get to the show. I recorded today's episode back about six months ago, in December of 2022. And one of the things I love about being a disabled creator and learning to live on crip time, and if you don't know what crip time is, I'll just I'll re- I'll refresh your memory Crip time is where we go a little bit slower, we move things to a schedule, that kind of stuff. So what, what I enjoy about living on Crip time is that I have episodes from years ago that I've recorded that I've not yet released, and I can take my time with it, and I can go slow, and I can do what I need to do, and this, this episode that I recorded back in December, six months ago now, was really, really special to me. One of the things I also love about the job that I do, and the job that I do as an internet person talking about disability, is I get to meet really cool people on the internet also talking about disability, and that's one of the guests that you'll meet today. So let me tell you all about it. I met today's guest when I put a call on my social media saying that I wanted to do 
some more freelance work. Specifically, I wanted to do work for people by putting their putting image descriptions on their on their social media posts for them. That's something I really enjoy doing, and I just put a call out and said I would love to work with somebody if they want to do that. How can we do that? And so, the person that reached out to me is our guest today, and her name is L Billing. She's a mixed media artist, painter, podcaster, really cool person. And we talk about her experience having a disability and also being a caregiver for her mother. And I loved this conversation because I don't think we talk enough about how disabled people can be caregivers too. So this this episode kind of goes all over the shop. Elle and I just had a lovely chat that went everywhere from her experience of disability to what it's like to caregive to feeling like what's going to happen when her body gives out, to disability grief, so many variations of the topic. It was such a rich, nuanced conversation, and Elle has a really soft, comforting voice, and I really enjoyed listening back to the episode and hearing us talk about caregiving as a disabled person and all the things that we do, and and just... The nuances of that, and some of the funny moments of that, and the hard moments of that, um, and how Elle deals with her own experience of disability while being a caregiver. There are so many parts to this that I loved, and it 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 goes by quickly, but it's such a beautiful interview that I cannot wait to bring it to you. So, enough of my rambling. Without further ado, here is episode 332 of Disability After Dark, all about disability and caregiving with my friend L Billing right now on the show. L, hello. Hello, Andrew. How are you? How are you? I'm quite well. I'm, you know, hanging in there. It's what day is it? Even Monday? Monday. <laughs> yeah. It's a Monday. It's a weekday. I know, like, does it even feel like that anymore? It's been three years of pandemic. What is a weekday? Who knows? Yeah, it's well, time is arbitrary, right? Yeah, right. I mean, totally, completely. It's so funny because you and I know each other a little bit. We're doing some cool projects together, so it's cool. It's nice to like talk to you in a quasi-professional context right now. Yeah, on the record. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Quasi, I like quasi-professional is good because. You know, we're we're still who we are. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to veer off that path a little bit. But I I know you from social media. And yes. I know you from like Instagram. As, as much as I loathe the Zuckerberg, I am happy that Instagram brought us together. Correct. Yep. Um, That's basically how I feel too. Like, oh, uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, social media bad. But like, I've met a lot of cool people, and you know, I have a podcast, and I've been able to reach out to people that I've met on Instagram to have on my podcast too. So, you know, for all the, the yuck that it causes and facilitates, there's a lot of good about it too. So, yeah. I mean, it does bring disabled people together. Yeah. I think that's a a big thing that, you know, as people have been either celebrating or um, like laughing along with the, the demise of Twitter is, um, they they don't the people who do celebrate it or who are who think it's really hilarious they aren't keyed in to disability twitter yeah I and mean, how or chronic illness twitter you know how important it's been 
yeah. for people who don't get to go out I mean, or who live in small towns or who don't have much community around them. The two things can be true. It is hilarious. And I do enjoy watching it burn. Part of me is like, yeah. And the other part is like, oh, but wait, though, what am I going to do what I do? Oh, no. Yeah. Multiple things can be true at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So for anyone who doesn't know who L. Billing is, can you introduce yourself to us? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Sure. Um. In my former life, I was a teacher for 13 years at a school for the deaf. Um. And in my current life, I am an artist and a podcaster and a caregiver. Um, I still have, you know, education still runs through my veins. So I'm very passionate about um, connecting with people and and teaching and learning always. I think that will always be part of who I am. Um, but I'm also a mixed media artist. I'm on Instagram, you know, not super famous not even remotely famous <laughs> i have a very small following of art collectors um but i celebrate them and i love them and so i'm not gonna downplay them <laughs> no no you shouldn't yeah have. um and i really I... like i really like what i do um in 2021 i left my teaching job and i moved home with my parents to help take care of one of them um and also to help manage my own health um so i had a pretty big pivot last year um moving into my childhood home, back to my hometown, kind of after 20 years of being gone. Um, so a lot of my work is about um, memory and identity and place. Um, because moving back to your childhood home with your parents as an adult, when the world is on fire, <laughs> it's kind of just it's a wild ride. Yeah, I can imagine. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I need. I need my. I need. And I. So I commend you because I. I mean, obviously, you're doing what you have to do, but like, as an adult, fully formed now, I'm like, I need my space to be a person. Yeah, that that can be a challenge. Um, you know, when I left, so I I graduated. I went to college out of state, and then I got. I did my student teaching. I got married, and I moved a thousand miles away. And then later I got divorced. So when I left as an 18-year-old going to college, as far as anybody knew, I was a high-performing heterosexual <laughs> woman who was going to be, you know, who was marrying her high school sweetheart. Yeah. So you were here. And then 20 years later, <laughs> I moved <laughs> home and I am a chronically ill, disabled, bisexual, queer, femme <laughs> who is a hot mess and who just left her dream job because she can't work for more than three hours at a time. I mean, I feel like that's a sitcom like, by itself. Like, can somebody write that? Because I feel like that by itself could be a sitcom with like, you know, a chronically ill person at the helm. You should write that and then pitch it to like NBC or something. You know, my sister regularly tells me I should write a book. And when my partner and I, I sold my house before I moved home. Um, and when I got divorced, my ex didn't want the house. I was like, oh, I hate moving. And since you're not fighting me for the house, obviously I'm going to die here because there any motivation to leave this home that I now own is gone because there's no one who's going to make me move. Yeah. Because my ex, he left town. He didn't want the house. That's fine. I'm going to die here <laughs> was basically <laughs> my sentiments. And then I really did think that's where I'd live forever because I had, I I'd built a community. I had found a community. I had a really great group of friends and I still do, but they're now a thousand miles away from me or, you know, all my little gay friends are in my phone. Yeah. Um, 
and my little straight friends too. <laughs> you do um, better. Yeah. Um, and so when I w- it did come time to sell my house and my partner was helping me pack and I had a dream one night and I woke up, I was like, oh my gosh, I just had the best dream. I dreamt that Dan Levy and Kristen Stewart were our best friends <laughs> and they were helping us move back home. Obviously, you watched like, that film before you built the I, I didn't. I didn't. But I knew about it. <laughs> but like, I was like, they were helping us move back home. But because I live in such a small town, no one knows who these like gay celebrities are. Yeah, There's like eight hundred people in my hometown. It's very small. So and so they just we just passed them off as my gay best friends, and like it was a reality show. Like that was the dream I had, and it was the most amazing thing ever. And I'm like, I'm that would it. be like I wish I knew the people I could pitch that to because that would have been hilarious. I mean, we should put that on some like social media and be like, listen, listen, listen. Chronically ill, some person comes home, lives with family, isn't necessarily a reality show, but it's like a sitcom or something. That could yeah. it could be hilarious. Yeah, I was. I occasionally text snippets of conversations that happen between me and my dad and my mom to my siblings, just because. I'm like, I, you guys, I wish you were here. I wish you could have heard what just went down. And my sister was like, "You need to write a book." And I said, "You remember, like in 2010, there was that Twitter account shit my dad says." Yeah, I said it's like that, but it's more like a car slowly rolling downhill into <laughs> a into a dumpster. Like to start a dump, like it's happening so slow when you're in it. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, you know this is going to be a dumpster fire at some point, <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to stop it. So you're just like, well, this is going to be entertaining. <laughs> that's what it's like living home when you're crying in the old friends. There it is, right? That's the greatest description ever. Um, yeah, that's what it's like to be 37 and living with your parents. Um, <laughs> God, that's something that you know that will soon become a dumpster fire, and like. My job is taking care of my mom, and she asks me on a regular basis when I'm getting a job. So, uh. <laughs> I mean, that's the dynamic right there. And you're my dad, like, my dad is so glad I'm here, and my mom is like, mm, "When are you getting a real job?" <laughs> and you're like, "You are my job. I'm here. I'm doing it right now." Like, I literally moved home to try and keep you out of the hospital. Yeah. There, wow, there's so much to unpack in everything you just said. There's so much there. Uh, but, so let's back up a little bit. Let's start with, can you share with me what your disabilities are and how they impact your day-to-day? Yes. Um, I am a bit of an alphabet soup. Um, I have Maybe. a lot of things that are acronyms. Um, and I kind of divide my life into the time before and the time after. Um, so I, But some of these things have sort of followed me for a long time. Um, I have major depressive disorder and anxiety, which have sort of always been there. Cool. Me too. Um, Hey. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, I think is pretty common when you have generational trauma and you're a queer kid and you don't have the language for what you are. Yeah. Um, And you live in a small town in the 90s. (laughs) But then um, (laughs) I also have PMDD. So that's premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which I did started when I was a teenager, really debilitating menstrual periods. I felt like a homicidal grizzly bear, but then I would also pass out every time I got my period for like years. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. Scary. Um, so like, that was just like this all weird thing that started happening when I was 14. Like, I'm just going to miss school. <laughs> um, oh, 
But like, so my relationship with pain has been very fraught starting when I was like 14. And I mean, um, to have that kind of pain when you're 14, when you're already going through the throes of teenagehood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. And then I have flat feet and scoliosis. So like, there's always been some weird joint stuff going on, but we're like, oh, you just have a weird skeleton. Here's some orthotics for your feet and we'll monitor your back with x-rays. Um, well, now, many years later, I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, um, which took years to get a diagnosis of. It's just like, yeah, you're in pain all the time. Maybe it's arthritis, um, not, <laughs> arth- not arthritis. I have, um, and I have chronic migraine disease. So starting when I was 28, during my divorce, I had a migraine attack that lasted for 23 days. What? Yeah. And that was just like the beginning of this really horrible couple of years of trying to like figure out what was going on with my brain and find medications to manage it. And because my migraines last lasted so long and the attacks came so frequently, I have microvascular damage in my brain. Wow. And so now I'm on like a bunch of medication and they're expensive. And um, being a teacher at the time, it's a lot of work to write sub plans. And I had a boss who was like, oh, well, can you come in at noon? Like, if you have a headache, can you come in and I'm like, well, migraine's different than a headache. But yeah, not a headache. I'm also like, I have a thing with female authority figures because of some back, you know, trauma with my mom when I was growing up. So I'm like, yeah, I'll come in. I'm a people pleaser. Um, so pushing through a migraine is a really bad idea. Like, you should rest. Like, I'm not a neurologist. I can't give medical advice. But like, if you get a migraine, rest. <laughs> yeah, I um, so it, like I made myself worse by trying to like head down and power through. Um, so then I just didn't recover as fast. And there's like a whole year in there where like, I don't really have a lot of memories of what was going on at that time because I was Ooh, in that's a, fun. a migraine cycle for so long. That's um, so scary. Like I have never heard someone say I had a migraine for 23 days. Like that's. Yeah. It was terrifying. And I know. I know. Like I happened. thought I was gonna have a stroke and die. Yeah, because it's scary. Yeah. Um. So I've got those pretty well under control, but I have brain fog a lot, and there's a whole bunch of foods I can't eat now. And when the weather changes, I still get a migraine. Um. And I've had several MRIs, and I have to get them regularly to monitor. Um. So. When we switched to teaching virtually during the pandemic, I went from having two migraines a month to having 12. Oh, no. The first month we were like distance learning because um, I was experiencing eye strain from teaching on a I teach deaf kids or I taught deaf kids. And so the the visual scanning of trying to monitor nine kids on a screen using sign language was really stressful for my my neurology. Yeah. And I requested a larger laptop, never got it, um, you know, like as a disability accommodation. And I they didn't, didn't get it. They really? They, they, yeah. Like there's the. I mean, I'm not surprised. The request never went through to the right people. Um, and so by the time I finally, we ended up in person, like back in person teaching. And I was just, I was in pain all the time um, from the stress. I kept getting worse. Um, and I ended up trying to get some some time off from work and they wouldn't give it to me 
Um, so I ended up going to my doctor who wrote me a letter to get two months of medical leave because I was at the point where by noon every day, like I couldn't keep my arms up to sign. Like my arms were numb and tingling and I couldn't really use my hands and I was having problems balancing and it was really scary. Um, so I spent two months in physical therapy and hand and arm therapy still without a diagnosis. Um, and I was like, I just can't do this anymore. So that's when I decided to move home, like sell my house, move home. At the same time, my mom had spent some time in the hospital and I was like, well, maybe I can go home and take care of mom. It would be less stressed for dad then, less stress for me because I won't be teaching every day. Maybe we can figure out what's wrong with me. That's a, um, that's a big shift though. I think it was huge. It was really huge. Yeah. And I, the day that my laptop with the larger screen finally arrived in my classroom was my first day of medical leave. So of course, of course. yeah. So I t- took the last two months of school off that year and then I never went back. But like, I think realizing that you are disabled or sick enough, chronically ill enough um, to have to make that sh- shift is, it's a really harrowing thing. It was a really, it was both a really hard decision, but also a really easy decision. Like it was emotionally difficult because I love my, I still love my students. I, I went back last year for graduation and it was like really emotional to be back and to see the kids and the people there that I still get along with um but also it was really validating that like I picked a good time to leave like I needed to be out of that environment yeah to be done teaching um like I was so burned out it took like a year of like just sleeping as much as I needed to to start to feel like a person again and I still sleep a lot. Like, I think I'll always sleep a lot. That's one of the things about fibro. The fatigue is just never ending. Yeah. I've heard that a lot from people that I've interviewed on the show that have told me that the, fibro, the, the like need to just rest is like intense. And it's not just like lie down for a minute and rest. It's like, I got to rest for days. Yeah. It's like my mom sometimes gives me, give me crap about napping every day. And I was like, yeah, that's just, it gets to be about 2 PM, 3 PM. And I'm like, it's time to lay down what time are we at now it's like 2 30 <laughs> it's fine it's fine i had an extra cup of coffee so we got like we got like a straight half an hour before your body's yeah. like okay we're done but like i didn't i didn't do anything this morning like i i all i did was like the crossword puzzle and i drank a cup of coffee and then i really just sat i started a load of laundry and i really didn't do anything this morning because i knew like okay i have this interview with andrew today so I need to sort of hang on to my energy for the afternoon and I have to run some errands for my mom later. So I'm like, okay, if I, if I like budget my energy for the end of the day, not the beginning of the day, then like, and I, okay. I think that mental math we have to do when we think about our energy levels and we think about care. I think most people that are not disabled think, oh, why can't you just do it? And we're, we're going, no, no, no. There's a whole PowerPoint that I have to create just to figure out how to do this today. Yeah, it's like I need three to five business days. Yeah, I'll get back to you. Thanks. To to, to budget this out, um, there needs to be some spoon allocation happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things I know you wanted to talk about today was, and we've talked about it a little bit, but I wanted to go into it deeper for me if you could. The intricacies of being ill and disabled while also caring for an ill parent. What is that like? 
exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like I said, my mom, um, I'm here for her and she still asks when I'm getting a real job. Um, That's going to hurt a little bit because you're like, I'm doing it for you. Yeah. um, I have to, I do remind myself regularly that I am here for my dad. That's like, I'm, I'm here to help him with her. And yeah. that actually helps with the the mental emotional part of it. I have a complicated relationship with my mother and I have been in therapy since I was 17. And also I've done some 12 step groups and things. Um, so boundaries are an interesting yeah, I phenomenon, my- phenomenon in my house. Um, I think if I didn't have such a validating relationship with my dad. I think it would be a lot more difficult because my dad remembers things about like, oh, there's only like, there's certain things I can't eat. And so when he goes to the store and picks up treats, he tries to remember to grab something that I can have. Yeah. Um, Where like my mom was just like, I've been vegetarian since college. And so before I was really sick and like she never, even when she was better, she never remembered that I didn't eat chicken. So it's just like, there's such a different dynamic between my relationship with my two parents that like, I think if I didn't have such a, an affirming relationship with my dad, it would be a lot harder. Yeah. Um, But so I, I drive my mom to all her appointments and I have all my appointments too. And then my dad farms. And so from basically from spring through fall, I'm managing the healthcare of two people. Yeah. Um, and then in the winter, it's a little more relaxed because dad can do some driving too. But aren't so, you like, aren't you like, who's going to do, who's going to like do my, who's going to take care of me? Right. And so in the spring, my partner comes from Chicago and spends three months here um, so I can kind of just focus on my painting. I can rest. Um, my partner cooks for me, mows the lawn for my dad, um, helps with projects around the house. And so that there's a chance for like, for me to breathe for other stuff to get done. Um, and that is so, and then I don't have to drive. Like I don't drive for three months. My partner yeah. does all the driving. Um, so we're still, it's still during that spring to fall time where I'm still managing some of my mom's healthcare and some of mine, but I don't have to worry about every aspect of it because someone's cooking for me and it's really nice. <laughs> I, I think, you know, you, the, what what we're, you're touching on here is like disabled and chronically ill people provide care too. We all, we have this huge misconception that we don't provide things we're provided for because we're, you know, obviously we're less than, which we know is untrue, but that's what society thinks. Right. But we provide care too. And I think, you doing that as a chronically ill disabled person is, and I'm not saying this to like glorify what you're doing, but I'm saying it's an important thing you're doing as a chronically ill and disabled person. Right. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, and it also makes me think about, cause like now I'm an age, I'm 37 and like, I now have, I'm old enough to remember like when my mom was my age. So when my mom was 37, I was seven years old. And I'm like, oh, I have memories from when I was seven. And so now I can look back and go, how did my mom have any energy when she was my age? To do any of this. Yeah. <laughs> because she had she had a sleep disorder, you know, like my whole life. And I'm like, how in the world did she raise three kids if she was as tired as I was? Yeah. So, like, there's also this added layer of 
like, I think I also have a lot more empathy and compassion for my mom now than I did. I mean, I know for sure than I did when I was like in high school or even college. Yeah. So even though I have this sort of complex relationship for my mom there with my mom, there's, there's also added layers of empathy and compassion. Is it hard um, because of the complex relationship you have with her, like shifting into like caregiving? It, it can be. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it can be. Um but I also know that because she has a progressive disorder, like every day is really like not to like try and do spiritual bypassing or yeah, yeah, like, yeah. toxic positivity. We're like, oh, but like every day could be the the last best day she has, if that makes sense. Like so, so again, without without like, like tomorrow she could be worse and like yeah. not go back. She had, yeah. you know, she had COVID, um, and she recovered from it. But there are definitely things that changed while she had COVID that aren't going to change back. Yeah. And and so like I, I ended up with a lot of anger after that, not towards her, just towards the situation. And like I have to figure out where to put those feelings. <laughs> like how do how do you process anger and grief? Uh, you start like, a podcast called you yeah, start, you start a yeah. podcast and you just talk about it to the ether and hope that people like it. Yeah, it's like. But it's, you know, it's something I think we went through when my grandma was ill too, is like every, every change has its own grief that comes with it. Yep. But you're still, and there's still all this anticipatory grief because you know, there's like a big thing coming at some point. Yeah. You know, and like, so <laughs> My my dad drove me to the airport. I spent 10 days with my partners for Thanksgiving and then flew home. And my dad was like, well, you shouldn't have to drive. You know, traveling's hard for you. I'll drop you off at the airport. I'll pick you up. And then you can just focus on the travel part. So I come down the escalator at the airport and my dad was wearing a different hat than he usually was. And so I didn't recognize him immediately. And part of it was because he's growing a beard and it's totally white. And his hair is really white. And I just sort of forgot for a second how old my oh, parents are. Wait, you basically had Santa Claus pick you up? A little bit. Yeah. Amazing. Like I forgot that my parents are almost 70. Like it's one of those things where like I don't think about how old my parents are. Yeah. Like I see them all the time, but like I hadn't seen my dad in 10 days. And I come down the escalator and it was like, my dad's old. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> and so there's like that anticipatory grief of like, I'm ready. Like, I'm doing this stuff for my mom all the time. And like, that's something I'm processing. Daily. I mean, it's funny. But then seeing my dad, like with white hair and a white beard, wearing an old man hat, which was adorable on him, by the way. What kind of old man hat are we talking about? It was like about? one of those flat caps. Like, oh, yeah, I love like, it. Like my grandpa used to wear, right? Yeah, yeah. And he looked so cute. But I was also like, oh, my gosh. You're old. My dad's old. <laughs> when did that happen? When did my parents get old? Like, Jesus. that's not something I'm ready for. Not ready to deal no, with no. it my all. Mom, my mom like, I'm faced with my own mortality every day. Like, I wake up and I'm like, oh, can I move today? What hurts? Yeah, I'm like, just gonna, I was just going to ask you, like, do you, we, you talked a second ago about anticipatory grief. Do you ever have that grief? That anticipatory grief for yourself and for your own experience. all the time, all the time. Yeah, like I really wanted kids, 
And um, part of the reason I ended up divorced, um, not really having anything to do with, you know, I said before, when I moved, when I left, I was by everyone, you know, by all appearances, I was a a straight, high-performing woman, you know, marrying her high school sweetheart. Um, and I came back and I was, you know, gay as hell. Um, the divorce wasn't really about being queer. <laughs> that's just sort of a side, that's just the side note. Um, my ex knew I was bisexual before we got married. Um, but I really wanted kids and that ended up being a whole thing. And I'm not going to um, say anything bad about my ex on a podcast or publicly at all you know, it's been 10 years almost, and we've both moved on and are much happier and healthier for it. Um, but I've had some fertility problems. Um, and it just hasn't, and now with my health, the way it is, it just, it hasn't worked out for me to have to, to like give birth to children. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a step teen who is like the coolest kid <laughs> and I, mean... I love, I love, participating and parenting that way and it's very fulfilling um but there was you know anticipatory grief leading up to you know that age of 35 where they say you know like that's like a magic age where you become geriatric as far as pregnancies are concerned yeah that like that whole year of like i'm gonna miss it i'm gonna miss it i'm gonna miss that i'm like i'm gonna miss that mark um which was sad and stressful for me. Um, but I love being an auntie. I like being a step parent. You know, those are very meaningful relationships for me. Um, but like things like that, that I thought I might have accomplished by now, or I might be doing, or, you know, I was, when I flew to Chicago for Thanksgiving, I had to make a quick connection in the airport. And I discovered that day that I can't run. Like my legs wouldn't run. Oh no. Like, and I, like, I think I could run with my dog if the weather was nice. And um, I was, had stretched and like, if the conditions were optimal, I think I could jog. Yeah. yeah you've done dog. all the work to do it. You could do it. Right. And if I get back in physical therapy, I think I can do it. But like that day I couldn't run. Like I was physically unable to run. And that was new. I used to be a roller derby athlete. Wow. And now I couldn't run to make a connection in the airport. And that was like, I don't have time to process this, but I know it's going to hit me later. And it did. Like, I had a few moments with it. Um, and so I do have those those times where I'm like, well, what's next? What am I not going to be able to do next? Yeah. And I mean, I, that must that must stress you out because, like, you know, you are there as a primary caregiver for a parent. Like, mm -hmm. you're... you're like, what if one day you need to help her with something and you can't? She, mom fell last year, right before Thanksgiving. We were outside and I had to pick her up off the ground. Luckily, my mom is petite. She's much smaller than me. And adrenaline is a hell of a drug. <laughs> so um, even after taking the time to call 911, like to check on her, call 911, get off the phone, I was still had enough adrenaline to like get her up it hurt so bad the next day, <laughs> like every joint and connective tissue in my upper body really hurt. Um, but I was able to do it. Like I, I could get her up. So I do have those times where I'm, I, at some point she is going to have to transition into a care facility. Yeah. And I know it's going to be because my dad and I 
can't do things for her that we want to be able to and need to be able to do to keep her safe. And that's like and that's- I just want to be able to make the home like our home as safe and accessible as possible for as long as I can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so like thank you so much for being so vulnerable. There's so much like that we've we and we haven't even touched on half the points I want to talk to you about, but like, like yeah. there's so much there. Um and thank you for being so real about it. Um one of the things I know you wanted to talk about today that I want to get to because I think it's important is finally allowing yourself to identify as disabled. What what has that journey been like coming to that that realization and that allowance? Right. So I was the valedictorian of my class. Like I'm not saying that to be like I'm so cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. Um and I really think I was a pain in the ass to a lot of people. <laughs> Looking back, but I also, I really struggle to under, to conceptualize how people perceived me growing up. Um, And I don't know if that's because of the neurodivergence of having ADHD, which wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult, um, or because there was some bullying that went on in my family, and then I projected that onto people at school like I don't know I I really don't know how people perceived me in school so um I don't want to be unfair to the people I went to school with and say they were terrible to me if really it was just because I was a pain in the ass um but I had a very particular um frame of reference in my mind a very ableist um reference point in my mind for a lot of the kids who had IEPs in school um and I had a lot of inner work to do when I went into my education program and actually learned about what um like learning disabilities and things really are. Um, I had a friend in college who didn't learn to read till she was in fourth grade. And at the time I was like, that's bogus. Like and the more I learned about it, I was like, oh. No, the school system really does fail people. Yeah. I was lucky. Like, <laughs> I didn't realize that I was, like, a major exception to the, to the rule. Yeah. I was contributing to a lot of oppression in school. Oh, I'm sure. I've, I've done the same thing. Not, not. Yeah. Well, in school and, and otherwise, when I was in school, I was the wheelchair kid. And I was okay with that. But there were also kids who were in who were in like the remedial class or this or the special class, special ed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would have downs and they were fully happy with their lives. And I would look at them, I would look down on them and think, well, I'm obviously better than you. So like, which is so, such a ridiculous thing to think, but I definitely have contributed to the ableism too. Yeah. And so like I went, I had severe anxiety in college. Um, and so I went to the disability office and I was like, hey, I have anxiety and it's interfering with my ability to get work done. But like, I didn't actually know how to ask for help because I didn't know what I needed because I had never needed help before. And Cause that's because like, like school had been so easy for me that yeah. like I didn't even know how to study. Um, you were doing. And so I was like, so I'm, so I'm like, so I 
was told that this, like, so I had been told go to the like disability office. I'm like, okay. And so she's like, so what do you need from me? I'm like, I don't know. I thought you could tell me (laughs) what I need, what you could do for me. So like, I ended up not getting any like help or accommodations or anything. I got paid by the disability office to be a note taker for some other people, but like, that was my extent of interaction with the disability office in college. So when I started having like migraines on a regular basis, I started to, I I think I got kind of tapped into disability Twitter. Um, and more as a, I want to be a better advocate for my students who are deaf and have additional disabilities. Um, I knew, you know, I went through a really good deaf ed program. I knew about the cultural model of deafness, um, but I didn't know a lot about the social model of disability yet. And I started learning a lot more about that through disability Twitter. Um, And I started realizing with my migraine problems that I needed accommodations at work. And I was like, oh my gosh, am I disabled? I, I, mean, like, I don't think I can, I don't think I can, I, I don't think I can use that word because there are other people who are more disabled than I am. You're <laughs> so like it the, was really like overcoming like that whole, it's not the disability Olympics mindset. Like, yeah, yeah. Like we don't have to compare ourselves and like, we don't have to, but we do. We do. Yeah. Um, And I think that we're kind of set up to do that because like the school system does it. The school like, system does it. Our cap- society capitalism does it. Capitalism does it. It's like, oh, well, are you are you a disabled person who can work or are you a disabled person who can't work? It's like, look, we, it's like you're not a Paralympian? What? What do you mean? You, the, what? Isn't that the only representation of disability that I allow in my life? What are you talking about? Yeah. Are you, like, do you fit into the overcomer, like, trope? Or are you, like... Are you pitiable and don't and just choose not to work? Or are you one of those people that takes advantage of the system? You know, like we hear the, you know, and when I was working at the school too, it's like there's this whole push to like, no, you, I mean, towards employment, like you don't want to be one of those, you don't want to be one of those deaf people who just, you know, is on the dole. I can't tell you the number of times in my life that I've heard this. Oh, so you get money from the government. That's just free money, right? You know, I just recently applied for disability and someone was saying, you know, like they know people who who are on it and shouldn't be. And I was like, how can they teach me how to fill out the paperwork? Because this is insurmountable and I don't know how anybody could pull one over. And also um, the Social Security Administration. And also, because, like, what allows you to decide who gets to? Right, what, like, what able-bodied person gets to decide who? Yeah. Who like, I don't look disabled, but like, <laughs> put me to work for eight hours, and you will find out how disabled I am when I conk out after two and a half, and like can't stand anymore, <laughs> and my arms fall asleep. That sounds like a real fun work day for you. Yeah, super great. Super great. Like I could work for eight hours as a mattress tester. <laughs> Me too. But yeah, I ideal. Really... Hashtag goals. Yeah, yeah. A mattress tester, but I need a really hot dude on the mattress with me at all times. That sounds like ideal. Yeah. I mean that's what I want. I would I, no, I you know what? I couldn't even do that. I would have I would still have to like sleep and I would have to say, sorry, stop bothering me. 
I'm working. I'm I'd sleeping. be like, I could yeah. bring my dog with me to test the mattresses. I'm here for that too. What kind of what kind of dog do you have again? Uh, she's an Australian cattle dog, and she's oh. deaf, so she's she's a special girl too. There's so much disability in your life. I love it. There really is. I ended up with her because I worked at the deaf school. So I love that. Um, one of the things that I, I'm looking at your form and I keep seeing this, and I want to ask you because it's important. You and I, we, we do some work together on some projects. I'm just going to leave yep. it there. And we talked when we, when we were working out the terms of what we're going to do for each other, we both said we have to work on trip time, right? We have to like go at a slower pace, right? Because we're both sick and disabled. Like we have to, we have to. Can you yeah. talk to me about how trip time shows up in your life and, and like, what going at a slower pace is like for you? Sure. Yeah. That's a really, that's fairly new to my life. Um, I, you know, you see memes online a lot about, you know, former gifted kids are all burnouts now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was one of those who was involved in everything and I was just go, 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 go for a lot of my early life. Um, very high strung, very driven. Um, and a lot of that was externally imposed, um, but I carried it with me because the things that happen to you in your formative years shape your personality. Yeah. Um, and it's, it got, and I think I've been meeting a lot of um, women and femmes who were undiagnosed ADHD, had undiagnosed ADHD, who got diagnosed later as adults, who use like the anxiety of procrastination or of a very full schedule, that is their coping mechanism for dealing with their ADHD. Yeah. As like, we we can only get things done if there is the pressure of a deadline. That sounds awful. Yes. But you're not the first person. <laughs> Sorry, in fact, yeah. Um, and so like all that like stress and anxiety like we get things done and we do them, but like it wears on us over time. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Hence the um, former gifted kid current burnout. <laughs> so what is, um, been and so now I, I don't have the energy to do that. And I, you know, it started out with, you know, the migraines and needing to just sleep more. Um, and then it became saying no to requests at work to serve on committees. Like, no, it used to be like my boss would say, you want to be on this committee, assuming I would say yes. And then I'd say yes. Yeah. And then the first time I said, no, I can't do that. I need to dedicate my energy just to my students and I can't take on any extra committee work. She was surprised. And I was like, sorry, not your go-to. <laughs> um, and that was really liberating. And so I started saying more to no things. <laughs> no, so started saying no to more things. Did I say that right? Yeah. No, but I love um, it. It was... <laughs> Yeah, I started saying no to more things. And I mean, eventually I quit my job, but um, just giving myself now it's more like just giving myself time to get things done. Um, yeah. I follow a an Instagram account. Uh, I'm going to get it wrong now. The Nap Ministry. Trisha Hersey. She is a a black woman who is a minister and a visionary. And she just came out with a book on uh, rest is the resistance. Is that the name of it? 
I like really that. get it wrong. Yeah, but like she does nap ins, like for specifically, she targets um, and helps black people rest because a lot of like, I mean, the whole history of black Americans is like they were enslaved and forced were, to work yeah. and rest was not allowed. And like loitering laws in the U.S were originally written because black people didn't like go white, white people couldn't stand seeing black people not working like oh they're out just sitting around they should be put to work and so if you were seeing horrible. i didn't know that working, no. yeah yeah she's posted some articles about it um so anyway um following her account and reading her stuff i started seeing like it just opened my eyes to that that like the whole hustle and grind culture and all of that is like 100% tied in with capitalism and oh yeah like the way we brag about how little sleep we get or how many hours we've been working is all white supremacy and capitalism and so embracing crip time really is a way of pushing back against that yeah and And it's just and it I love the idea of integrating my disability liberation with the rest of my politics yeah which and i love know, would like, be anti-racist and you know anti-sexist and all of that when we when we sat down to do that to do our terms the fact that we both put in like crypto needs to be here and so when we we send each other the form it says right on there like we will do our best to complete the stuff but crypto time is a thing Yep. And if we need, both need to rest, just let the other one know. We're going to go. I was like, that needs to be in every contract ever when anybody does anything. Well, I have a, another friend that I, who was on my podcast and who um, I've done lots of workshops with her that her auto response, if you email her, you get an auto response that says, hey, I'm ill and disabled. Um, Thank you for being patient by reading this email. You are participating in the liberation of my spirit. By allowing me crypt time to reply within a week. Like, I love it's, it. Like, it's the most glorious auto reply ever. I might need and to that. that sounds good. I'm, I'm working on this with my mom because she she's also very high strung like me. And um, she's always had her hands in multiple projects all the time. And she just can't do that anymore. You know, she just she doesn't have the energy either. She doesn't have the focus. Um, but she's still really antsy. And I'm like, Mom, you can rest. Like you're allowed to sit down. And you, you should. Like you don't have to do everything today. So she this happened last year, it happening this year. She hounds me to help her with the Christmas tree or some other project in the house, but specifically the Christmas tree and Christmas decorating. Say, mom, I have a, a maker's market on the first Saturday of December. It's the only in-person show I do as an artist. Um, it's the local one. It's for, you know, the Christmas thing. I can help you with Christmas stuff after my Christmas thing is done. Like, that's my boundary. So, like, the day after, I'm in recovery mode. I have a headache. I had just started my period, so I was miserable. This was yesterday. <laughs> She's like, so can you help me decorate the tree? I'm like pace yourself mom yeah it's december like, 5th what <laughs> yeah i'm like i just had to take an a leave 
which I rarely take because it's a tension headache, not a migraine. Like it's a tension headache. Um, I have cramps. I'm very tired. And you seem to be doing pretty good on the tree right now, but I will help you tomorrow. I will make time tomorrow between packaging orders because I did get some. I am sen- I am selling art <laughs> between packaging orders and the end of the day, I will make time to put ornaments on your tree. But like, it doesn't have to be right now. Like there's no. like no reason to hustle. Like there is, you have months and months. Like there's like no one's coming over. Christmas is in three weeks. Like there's time. You got loads of time. Yep. But so much time where you could just but I, I understand also the want to like please and the want to do it. So you must it must be really hard for you to, to, to in those moments to say no, I need to prioritize me. It's easier than it used to be. I think having lived a thousand miles away as long as I did and really working on boundary setting in other relationships before I moved home really helped. Yeah. I mean, for me, for me with crib time and because I'm a freelancer, it's really hard. It's really hard for me to say no. Cause I'm like, I gotta, I have to work so I can make enough money so I can be out of poverty so I can be okay. So I can do the things I want so I can Mm -hmm. buy the things I want so I can pay down credit cards. So I can like, it's really hard for me to say no. Even now, even though I advocate for other people to take trip time, for me, it's like, it's like, what? No, I got to do it. Even today when I was doing some stuff for us, like I was doing stuff for our agreement today, mm-hmm. and I had yep. to be like, it's okay to stop right now and not, you know, like I was like, okay, I'm going to get all this done. And I was like, it's okay to, to just not. Yep. But getting you a place where you can tell yourself that's okay is hard. Yeah, I have. Um, I had a friend. The first several episodes, um, of the podcast, she was hand typing all the transcripts for me. So I would send her the audio file, and she was typing out the transcripts. They were like twenty two pages long. Wow. And but she loves she loves taking dictation. So she was doing that for me in exchange for artwork. So I didn't have to pay her money. She said, "I'll just do it for artwork, so you don't have to pay for a, a transcription service, and you can still have accessibility for your podcast." Well, you're getting it started. And I was really appreciative of that. Well, then she had surgery and was having a really hard time recovering. And she felt so bad about falling behind. And I was like, your health's first. Like, this this is a no-brainer. Yeah, it has to like, be. Rest and recover. Like, this isn't your first job. This isn't, like, your ma- this isn't your source of income. This isn't, like... This is a side project you agreed to do for me as a friend. Like, please take care of yourself. Like, I will figure something out. Like, like I had, I'm, I just think if we centered care that way in. If we centered understanding that. In our interactions and our, our agreements, like things would be a lot better. Yeah, I agree. I I fully agree with that. I think being a self-advocate for yourself is so hard. Yeah, it can be. I joked with her that we were having like a Canadian standoff because you were apologizing so much. Well, no, because she was worried she was letting me down and she didn't want to say like, I can't do this right now. And 
I was worried of like I didn't necessarily want to say don't do these anymore like like firing her I wasn't going to fire her I was just going to say take this off your plate for a while but I didn't want to like I didn't want to communicate that I was disappointed in her by saying that because what I wanted to communicate was I need you to take care of your health and take care of you right and so we were both like talking around it in a way that we were both trying to like preserve the feelings of the other person (laughs) it was like it was like the most like roundabout way of talking and I was like I am not disappointed I love you I am very concerned about your health please take care of it when you are better we can talk about this again Please get better. <laughs> that's a hard place to get to. Yeah. But if you don't get better, I still love you. And that's fine. Sometimes our bodies don't work. <laughs> right. And that I think that's the part for me as a content creator that is really hard because I work for myself. I work, I live on social assistance also, but I work for myself to survive. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, if I can't do this anymore, or if I take two or three days off, then not only have I failed myself. I failed the community that I'm supposed to be an advocate for. And like when you work, when you work in disability and you start, you know, presenting yourself as a, like I'm a public figure in the disability space. And so the people know who I am. And so if I take two or three days off where I don't post anything, I feel like I've somehow let them down by not doing it. Yeah. That is a hard, like mental piece to get through. But like at the same time, you have to put on your own oxygen mask before assisting others. That's what I try to remember and remind people. Like if you take three days off to take care of yourself, it means that like you had, I mean, you can't be there for other people if you aren't taking care of your own health. Yeah. Right. I mean, put on your own oxygen mask before assisting other people. It's like basic airplane knowledge. The same thing goes for being involved in community i think it's true but it take is really care hard. of ourselves so we can take care of others yeah but I, actually getting to that place is really hard um, oh absolutely one of the things you mentioned in in your questionnaire that i want to bring up because it's important is and i think it's i love the way you said this unburdening myself from the expectation of getting better and i that was a hard one to read even now because like I still have that burden around my neck. I have that yoke around my neck all the time. I'm like, I got to get better. I got to be okay. I got to try this. I got to be all right. What is it like to try to let that go? Well, when I was on medical leave, you know, there's an expectation that you come back from that. And I would have liked to continue teaching part of me wanted to continue teaching and part of me knew I was done. Um, But when you're on medical leave from a job, you're supposed to be continuously updating your employer on your progress. Yeah. And when you can come back, but they didn't know what was wrong with me. So it was hard to say how I was doing yeah and I have such a weird relationship with the pain scale it's like am I like what's the difference between a five pain and a six pain I don't know um one's more distracting I guess 
Um, but I think I have different types of getting better. Um, if I have an acute, if I have a migraine, I know that that specific migraine can go away. But I am never going to be able to eat the foods I used to be able to eat without them causing a migraine. So in that way, like I'm not, that's not going to get better. I can't, there's, I'm just always going to have those restrictions. Well, and I, I, I live with IBS. I live with chronic yep. bowel stuff and everyone listening has, it's like, Andrew, shut up. We hear about it all the time. I know. But so what, what are some of the foods that you miss that you wish you could eat? Cause I got, let's, let's play that game. Yeah. So I also, so I have different categories of foods I can't have. There's the foods that cause migraines. There's the foods that cause some stomach upset. And then there's the foods that I'm allergic to that I'm now terrified of because every time you eat them, the, the reaction gets worse. And so now, I, so now I carry EpiPens. Yeah. I didn't used to have to do that. So the foods I miss the most are, it used to be cheese, but now I have found decent enough vegan cheese substitutes that I'm fairly satisfied. Like I spent several years working on like vegan mac and cheese recipes. (laughs) So like, cause that's my favorite comfort food is mac and cheese. Yeah, me too. So, um, there's decent enough vegan mac and cheeses that like I can make a vegan mac and cheese and feel like my soul is filled. (laughs) Which kind of, well, the Daya brand is pretty good. Um, and then Bonza, Oh, sorry. I have to update my virus protection. Fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Bonza makes like a chickpea cheese pizza. So it's gluten-free and vegan and surprisingly good. My parents think it smells bad, but that's because they're not used to cooking with garlic. Well, but garlic is so good. I love garlic. I know. It's like the foundation of every good recipe, right? But they, I mean... they're not used to our house smelling like garlic. The, and they the... they're just used to my food smelling weird um i miss potatoes so much like and they cause migraines uh that if i eat too many nightshades yes i get a migraine so that's potatoes tomatoes peppers and eggplant but i'm to the point now with my fibromyalgia that i can't even eat enough nightshades to get a migraine because if I eat enough, like if I eat too many, my fibro will flare first. Oh, that's so fun. So basically yeah. so like, like I will let myself eat potatoes like once a month. Like I'll eat like some tater tots or some really good French fries. So like what's your go-to? And with, then like... I regret it later. But I'm like, oh, that was my once a month penance. Because <laughs> but I, potatoes are so good. Like I just. Mm-hmm. A baked potato covered in butter? Like, what's better? A sweet potato is... Sweet potatoes are really good. I, I do like those, but I just... There was this place... I used to live in Twin Falls, Idaho, and there was a place on Main Street that had the best French fries I have ever eaten in my life. And, like, I m- miss those French fries. Like, those specific hand-cut fries with fry sauce? Like... I want that back. <laughs> I hope so much. So I want to now do it. Give yeah. It yeah. I want those fries. Those, it's not any, it's those specific fries I miss. 
And then I miss like avocados and bananas. I'm allergic to those now. And I'm allergic to nuts. And I used to eat like a ton of almond yeah. butter. Oh my God. Nuts. Okay. Okay. Then I have a story. So recently I was in the hospital for um, bowel obstruction recently, mm-hmm. like, like, like just about a month ago. That's well, no, a month and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what gave me the bowel obstruction was that I decided to eat a whole bag of nuts in a couple of hours and then go to bed. Bad mm-hmm. idea. Ooh. Horrible idea. Because nuts apparently do something to my bowel that makes obstructions happen. Uh-huh. And so it's like packing a musket. Yeah. And so now <laughs> literally. And so now I can't eat them anymore. And I've I've literally started ask telling people like I can't have nuts. And I don't say I'm allergic because it's not the same thing, but I say like I can't have it. I need to don't give me nuts because I'm scared of what they'll do. Yeah. I had the scariest thing that's happened to me food-wise lately is I had a big bag of, they were vegan, gluten-free, cheesy pretzels. Okay. So already a little on the weird side, but yeah. they, they were like co- vegan combos basically. And they, but they were, they tasted so good. I ate the whole bag and then my face started to go numb. Oh no. And like my tongue started feeling funny and I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? There was cassava flour in it. And I didn't know this until I'd already mowed down the whole bag. Cassava is in the latex family. And I have a latex allergy. Oh, no. And so it was like 9 o'clock at night. Um, our like EMS is all volunteer run. So I have to decide, do I use my EpiPen and then call 911? Because my allergist said if it, if your reaction involves two or more body systems that's considered a major reaction so like i was a little wheezy so that's respiratory and my my face was numb so that's like skin and nerves right yeah, that's yeah, two yeah. systems I'm like I, technically i'm supposed to use my epipen and call 911 but it's late i don't want to bother people like can i manage this with benadryl i don't want to bother people <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to bother people that's like the most north dakotan lutheran thing i think i could have said yeah. i'm having a i'm having an acute allergic reaction but i don't want to bother I'm the emergency reaction, but i don't want to really bother you so what do i do here yeah so i just got my inhaler out and i took a cup of benadryl and i sort of just waited that was and did it obviously reckless it, that was reckless did it subside it did but it was terrifying and i am never going to play with my life like that again <laughs> But it's funny. I'm also never know. gonna eat cassava flour again, which is apparently is a really popular gluten-free flour alternative. Cool. So you have to look at everything and be like, so I you need a gluten, gluten-free. No, I do eat I can eat gluten. Um, I just like gluten-free snacks because I can't have nitrates. And most, at least in the US, most products with white flour are enriched and have and that means they have thiamine mononitrate in them, which is how you add vitamin B1 to an enriched flour product. Sounds tasty. Yeah. Like all cereals, breads. There's like two cereals I can eat here. Um, maybe three cereals because most of them have thiamine mononitrate, white bread, white flour, unless it's like not enriched. That's how they uh, add the vitamins back after they strip it all out. They they put that's horrible. That's horrible. Like, and most people can have nitrates. It's not a big deal, but like, nitrates are in cured meats. They're in white flour products. 
Those are the two big ones. Yeah. You and I, we've been, we're just about at the end. We've talked about so much. And also I feel like we could talk about so much more. So I definitely want to have you come back and tell more about your life because there's a lot we did that we didn't touch that we could, should. Yeah, that'd be fun. Um, how can people listening, if they want to get a hold of you and see your art, because it is fantastic. I'm doing some stuff for you with it. And from what I've seen, I'm like, wow, it's really cool. Oh, um, so how do the people, how can they follow you, support you, hear more about you? Yeah, my Instagram is at L and Wink. So E-L-L-E-A-N-D-W-I-N-K. Awesome. I will make sure that that's. Yeah, and then my podcast is Hoorf Podcast. Oh, yes. H-O-O-R-F Podcast. And really quickly, give me a plug about your podcast. Give me like the elevator pitch of what it is. Yeah, so the podcast is, the subtitle is Radical Care in a Late Capitalist Techscape. So I interview creative people, small business owners, caregivers, and care receivers about their kind of their self-care and their creative routines. Well, if you need a cool guest, I'm around. All right. I think I sent you, I think I sent you a scheduling budget. So. Oh yeah. I haven't. (laughs) I'm like, I do need a cool guest and you haven't scheduled your interview. (laughs) I haven't done it yet, but I will. Yeah, that's fine. No rush. We're on crypt time. (laughs) It could be in five years, but it will get done. Um, That's fine. uh, (laughs) Well, this is so fun. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing your story today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. And you're just, yeah, I think. You know, what you're doing, being a caregiver and needing care and talking about those things. Talk about it more because we need people talking about that stuff because it's, it's happening every day and no one's talking about it. Um, So I'm glad that you are. I'm glad that you wanted to today. Um, All right. Well, thank you for being here. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here and shining a light on these stories with me. Thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can go to www.andrewgerza.com. Anytime, all my links are there. If you want to support the show in any way, we, you can leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and that will give you access to the show one day early, completely ad-free for as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more if that works for your budget. Also, there are yearly amounts available there. So if you wanted to do that, that would be great. If you're able to, I would appreciate it. If you want to be a guest on the show, please email me directly at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com or andrew at andrewgerza.com. I would love to have you and shine a light on your story. Thank you so much for listening to these episodes and supporting disability content by listening to Disability After Dark. And we will see you for our next episode in two weeks. Thanks, friends. Talk to you soon. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast 
or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Kriplin Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2023.